Welcome to Self Taught, where former foster youth, like myself, share our real-life experiences with sex, health, and life. (laughs) Hosted by the Reproductive Health Equity Project, these are some conversations we wish we'd had earlier. Thank you guys for joining us. I'm Kat. I am a member of the Reproductive Health Equity Project's Youth Advisory Board, which is called YAB for short. Today, we talk about mental health and foster care. I'm joined by two of my fellow YAB members, Alexis and Elizabeth, as well as Esmeralda Cortez Rosales. She works for NICL, the National Center for Youth Law, as a community policy associate with the mental health department. And yeah, thank you guys for being here. I would really like to start by just kind of highlighting the relationship between mental health and the foster care system. Um, Elizabeth, can you tell us why mental health is something you wanted to come here to talk about today? I wanted to talk about mental health because I feel like a lot of youth in care have this idea that they have to go through all their experiences and face all their issues and they have to do it completely by themselves. And that's not true. They should be able to get the help and support that they need. You know, personally, I know when I was growing up, I learned a lot of self-reliance and that no one was going to be there to support me. So I had to support myself that even when I had people there telling me that they wanted to be in my life and that they cared about me, I was telling them I hated them. They should hate me anything I could to get them to tell me that I wasn't as valuable because that's what I thought. But that's not the reality. And I want you to care to know that. Well, that's so terrible. Um, but as somebody that works in an STRTP, I see a lot of that. And that really makes a lot of sense. Um, Esme, um, can you answer why mental health is important to you? Mental health is important to me, I think in particular because, especially as a young person, adults are kind of trying to read you the whole time and most time they're reading us in the wrong way they're talking they like put these labels on us that we're bad or too loud or too disruptive or too defiant whatever the negative connotations that get labeled to young people but in reality it's just our emotions and ourselves letting the world know that we were hurt and we are just trying to navigate it. And that, to me, just shows that the world misunderstands young people. And when it comes to our mental health, it's greatly impacted when we're so misunderstood and also labeled in the wrong ways. And so I think it's important that we take care of our mind and knowing that that was not true. And so mental health, like for me, is important just so that we can, as like individuals, but also a community, be able to be successful in whatever way that looks like for us. That um, really leads me into what I was going to say next about um, kind of our general population is struggling with mental health. About 20% of just the U.S. overall is struggling significantly with a mental health challenge. And then when you look at the foster care community, that number jumps from 20, which is already really high to 80%. So there's definitely something going on and we definitely need to address this. Um, yeah, so thank you for bringing that up, Esme. Um, 
one thing that I really appreciate about data like that, even though it's a little cold, I think really looking at things like that can bring us some perspective on what we're really up against here. You know, it's not if you are somebody that decides that you need, um, you know, therapy or whatever kind of help, it's not that, you know, for me, I just have to deal with the fact that I need to take pills to be a normal functioning person that does all the things that I want to do. And sometimes that's hard to think about. But, you know, when I really look at everything that I'm up against, um, I'm doing pretty okay. And, you know, it's not such a bad thing, but I found a way to make it work. Uh, Alexis, would you share a little bit about um, why mental health among foster kids is something that you wanted to talk about? So... Um, emotional support is vital for individuals' mental well-being, and it offers a source of comfort and understanding during challenging times. So without a strong emotional support system, people can experience feelings of isolation and loneliness, leading to adverse effects on their mental health. And building a supportive community can provide a safety net, fostering resilience and promoting mental and emotional stability. And so I noticed this a lot while people are shifting from traditional Tay youth, which would be 18 to 24, 16 to 24, however people define it. And that, that's basically a time where all services are stripped from people, whether they're ready or not. And so I'd be interested into seeing more information on um, just the mental health statistics on young people after the age of 24. Yeah, there's a lot that can be said about that. And I wish that I had more numbers on that, especially because that's more directly related to um, our age group. But yeah, there's no reason why once you turn 18, you don't need parents or a support system anymore. Um, is it all right if we kind of shift and look at some of the signs that you should reach out for help? Um, like, when did you know things needed to change, um, Alexis? Um, yeah, so for me, I received therapeutic services since a child, and some formats were more successful, such as holistic therapeutic approaches. And I think that mental health is like an addiction. You can't force someone to receive services, no matter how much you want them to be better until they're ready to change. And also noticing, uh, just noting not to stereotype people when they don't disclose that they have a mental health um, diagnosis or um, whatever that they may be facing. I hear that a lot where people are like, oh, sometimes it feels like you're not engaged or you don't want to be a part of this. But it's like just to get out of bed is a lot sometimes. So, yeah. What Alexis is saying reminds me. Um, a lot of my experience kind of growing up. And I, I knew that my experience was not what everybody else was experiencing. I knew that I was not a happy person, um, but my family really did not believe in reaching out for really any kind of mental health or any kind of services. Just there's a big fear there that that could open the door to us being taken away. And I say that because I know that that is a very common thing that former foster or foster youth and their families are dealing with is just like this fear of getting the help 
Um, yeah, so for me, I didn't really start therapy until I was in college and I was taking this women's studies class um, and I did my final project on um, why the U.S. should have a war on rape, you know, not like a war on terrorism or whatever, like, screw it, war on rape. And so I'm studying these cases like the Larry Nassar case and I studied um, the Epstein case really got just under my skin probably more than anything else. And just watching these young women going up on the stand younger than me, and they're going up on the stand in front of all these people, in front of all of America, and they're talking about these just horrible and humiliating things that happened to them. You know, of course, not through any fault of their own, but that doesn't change how it feels. And I was just so impressed that they could speak with so much poise and grace and still be believed about those things. And I just thought, how can they do that? So um, I went and talked to a school therapist because, you know, they're free. So, <laughs> and I asked her, you know, how can they do that? And I remember her looking at me and saying, well, for one thing, they've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> and so for me, that um, that was really kind of the beginning of the end of my old life for me. That was really when I thought, okay, I really gotta, I really gotta make a change because my life can't keep going like this. So, yeah, Elizabeth, um, how about you? I know that you've had a lot of um, motivation for kind of bettering yourself. Thanks. I definitely relate to what you said about having that moment where you realize something's got to change. And for me, that was when I started working with kids that I work with. And I kind of realized that it would be hard to take care of them and to support them if I wasn't taking care of myself and I didn't have the help that I needed. And so I realized that I needed to heal for them. And part of that healing wasn't to expect all of the past to go away and to expect all of that pain to go away. But that's why I think mental health is more of a journey. And you got to find why you're going, why you're going on this journey, because it's not going to make the memories any less painful. It's just going to help you to get through it a little bit easier. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I've definitely heard it said, uh, it doesn't get easier, but you get stronger, which doesn't sound that encouraging when you're in the beginning parts of the journey. But then once you really know what it feels like, it's like, yeah, and that's okay. Um, Esme, are there signs that someone should look out for that might mean they should seek help? I think I'd like to highlight two big signs that I think you need help. Uh, one is when there is a major disruptor to your everyday life. And this can look different, like you're going to school every day or you're going to work every day or, or you're doing both at the same time. But the point is something is disrupting your entire life every almost every single day to the point where you can't really function anymore. And I think that's when you should also seek help. For example, um, when I was 25 years old, I've already had been diagnosed with panic disorder for 10 years. 
But 10 years later, it was looking and displaying itself differently than when I was 15 years old. And so when I was 25, there was just another what I would call traumatic experience in my life that happened. And I started like fainting in public randomly because my panic was so severe that I would just faint. (laughs) And that's really like the big major thing that called to me that I needed to seek help again. Because it's like Elizabeth said, this is a journey and that's something that I struggled with so much because I wanted it to end. I wanted to finally be happy forever and like just not go through the bad stuff anymore. I didn't want to experience trauma no more. I don't want to have those big negative feelings. And so I wanted there to be an end point. But the truth is we are on a journey. Our whole life is a journey towards this goal that can change that looks different for everyone i think when you feel that your mental health or your emotional well-being is starting to affect your day-to-day tasks reach out for help even if it's the hardest thing you do because at that point you need a community support around you that'll help you kind of see a different vision a different world a different bring hope at the end of the day too So I'd say that's one thing. And then the other reason why I would say that people should reach out or like seek help is if they experience a big event that changed their life. In general, um, it's super hard to reach out for services right away. Um, But I think that when their mental health is impacting your day-to-day life, uh, I think that's when you should reach out for help. That makes so much sense. And even what you were saying about it can be really hard, like immediately following a really big event. Um, Alexis, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I like the second part of what you were saying about the big event. I think it also ties into the 24-year-old piece because as a social worker, I'm not here really to sugarcoat things for people. And so like, I don't know. I don't know. Like when I do presentations, I like kind of get annoyed when I hear a good job because I know I did a good job because I prepared for it. I like did everything I needed to do to do a good job. It's not just something I pulled out of a hat and was like, let's wing it and hope that this is good. But that also kind of plays into adultism. And so once you turn 24, you step away from that youth lens and step into this adult lens. And it's hard because then you start feeling less valuable and you start feeling like, okay, well, I'm not given as many opportunities because I'm not, again, that quote, valuable. I'm not 24. So now my voice doesn't matter. And this is like, it seems like, oh, that's not a big deal. But this is a very like important transition in people's life. And to just be told again, the final time, like it's okay when you're 18 when you're 21, because you know something will always pick up for you. But after 24, that's pretty much it. People stop caring. People stop caring if you're sleeping on the ground outside. People stop caring about your opinion, your voice. And so that's very traumatic. And that's, again, opening these traumatic wounds of like, well, I don't have the support. I don't have anyone to care for me. And so I'm really glad that you brought up that big traumatic event, because to what seems like something small to somebody else is very traumatic that's the system leaving us is almost like a a death of a parent and i don't think people realize that yeah um 
Thank you for bringing that up, Alexis. I think that kind of brings me to what I wanted to ask Elizabeth, which is um, even when you get to that point where you feel like you're ready for help, the help may not be there ready for you, unfortunately. Um, Elizabeth, I wanted to know if you could share what it's been like for you to navigate the Medi-Cal system. So my experience, I've been in and out of therapy for pretty much my whole life. But in around August of last year, uh, finally, after taking a few months to get there, taking about three months or so, uh, finally in August, last year i found someone who i had a great connection with and i was seeing her regularly and everything was going well for a while um until that was until in december i got news that my insurance was no longer going to cover her credentials because after covid uh medical had expanded mental health coverage and now COVID was over, so mental health services uh, were going back to how they were before. And so January, I switched to someone else in that same organization, which wasn't the best fit and wasn't the best level of care for what I needed at that time. And so since then, uh, since January of this year, I've been trying to find the right care and trying to find someone and each time i start the process it takes a few months of well let's wait for a referral or you need to be on a waiting list let's take a few more months and just waiting after waiting after waiting until finally we get to a point where maybe i can see someone and then uh, as i'm in school i don't have a housing in one particular county or the other so i switch and i move counties so then i have to wait for the insurance to change over and then i have to wait those few more months again to get on a waiting list or wait for someone and it's just this continual process each time i move back and forth so i'm still currently in that process of trying to find someone right now yeah, I, I mean, as much as I'm grateful for Medi-Cal over like nothing, it's, yeah, that's terrible. And it's so important to have somebody that's a good match for you. So yeah, I'm very sorry. And I hope, I hope that you'll be able to figure out that runaround soon and be able to have a lasting connection with somebody. Um, Esme, I know that you're not like... Um, a medical expert by any means, but I wondered if you had any resources that you could share, something we could maybe link in the show notes for people. So the National Health Law and the National Center for Youth Law teamed up together to create a guide to accessing medical mental health services for current and former foster youth. We'll link it in the run show notes, but it's about a six-page guide that gives you the breakdown of what medical services are covered when it comes to mental health. It also has direct phone numbers and lines that you can call to get more support around this. For a long time, I didn't even know that mental health services were something you could get through medical at all. When I mm-hmm. uh, 
kind of first started getting therapy, it was always like just through my school, what was free. And um, eventually when I was diagnosed with panic disorder, also I was going to a doctor doctor and I told him I thought there was something wrong with my heart. <laughs> I couldn't I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but like relatable. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I, if I can't laugh at it, I can't live with it. So, but anyway, I had no idea that even the doctor didn't tell me that I could talk to someone through Medi-Cal. I was going through some sort of former foster youth school services that was always trying to help me along until I got a job that would support that. So um, this is all completely news to me. And if there's a couple of bullet points on there that you could share, I'd, I think it would be awesome. So there are a few different categories of mental health services. Two big ones are special mental health services, which are provided through your county mental health plan. And then there's non-specialty mental health services, which are provided through your managed care plan or Medi-Cal fee for services. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few other types of categories that are on the guide. But what I really like about it too, about the guide is that it shows different examples of the type of mental health services you can get. And so, of course, at the top of the list is therapy or counseling. Uh, there's also medication support if you choose to take on a path for um, using medication to supplement your um, mental health services that you need at the time. There's also eating disorder services, supports during a crisis, family-based or hospital services. And I think the guide does a good job in the sense of providing specific things that you can do to start to start up the Medi-Cal process or your mental health journey. But also I like it because it gives a what I would call your legal community support because foster youth do have a bill of rights and in it's the law in California. You can Google foster youth bill of rights and the California link will pop up and you have a right to timely health care, including medical, dental, vision, and mental health services. Why I really encourage people to use the guide too is because um, foster youth have entitlements and rights, but it also takes, I think, outside support to help you get those services when they're not listening to you anymore. Because you will get the runaround. Yeah, sometimes you really have to kind of force things to work. But um, thank you for bringing, um, I love when we can have just a good takeaway, you know. So thank you, Esme, and thank you, Nicole, for um, providing that. Um, let's just kind of close with a short, like, um, share about how you look out for yourself. Um, Alexis, would you start by telling us how you take care of yourself? I don't know. I think it manifests itself in different ways. I think that um, too oftentimes people like want to categorize it like, oh, I have to take a hike or I have to journal. For me, um, maybe it could be going out. Maybe it could be cleaning. Maybe it could just be hanging out with my cats. It really depends what I need at the time. So that's kind of how I take care of myself. I like that little case by case basis listening to yourself. That sounds, yeah, um, nailed it. Um, Esme, how about you? 
sometimes I feel like people want to give you like a recipe, like go do A, B, and C and you'll be fine. But it's also like, well, this Monday is very different from Friday and Friday was different from Saturday. And so like it's finding that balance of like, what can I do in the moment? What do I need? And that does look different. And big picture things that have helped me throughout the journey is one specific thing I do is with I guess panic disorder, I panic. And I think my life is just in danger, immediate danger. And to help me get out of that cycle, I write down the things that are, I'm writing down the biggest things that are causing me the biggest amount of stress or causing me to have or feel panic. I write it down and then I revisit it in three months. And I kind of just give myself like an update on how I'm feeling now on that topic. And to me, it kind of, brings me back to my life is not over right there and then those problems didn't hurt me as what I thought they did and so writing things down does help me generally and I would also say that for me I have always seen animals as something that brings peace to me and like what are they called emotional support animals it's a real thing so I also like have I've had um, cats, dogs, rabbits, guinea pigs, a lot of different animals that I can just go and touch and feel love. (laughs) I think it's part of it too. If I need love, I'll go find love. If I need to go hang out, I'll go hang out. But it's really just asking myself, what does me need right now? And that's even a hard part to get through first too. Those are a few ways I take care of myself. Yeah, thank you. Um, Elizabeth, what about you? Um, The first piece of advice I got about taking care of myself is to do three things each day. The first one is to do something for your body. The second one is to do something for your heart. And the third one is to do something for your mind, even if the one for your body is something as simple as eating something that day. At least it still helps and it's giving you what you need. I like that. Yeah, kind of mind, body, spirit kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about my kind of how I take care of myself is, I guess, hard to put in words. But yeah, I look for something kind of spiritual or religious or however you want to look at that word, just kind of looking um, at how I can explain what I'm experiencing through my version of my higher power, the universe, whatever. Um, I think especially people that have trauma. I think the the only way to really heal is to be able to make meaning from it. So I always look to my understanding of the way that the world works and try to make meaning from that. So yeah, thank you guys so much for um, being here. You guys have been wonderful. I would like to say thank you all. I've never been able to like have a conversation like this with anyone, especially that can, I don't want to say like directly relate, but also like directly relate. And I really um, enjoyed the space that y'all created. So thank you. Thank you so much, Esme. Thank you for uh, contributing. Um, All of you guys really been awesome. Thanks for stopping by. To hear more and support our cause, like this video and subscribe to our channel. And check out fosterreprohealth.org for more resources.